So about 15 years ago, um, I was at home watching a YouTube video and uh, there's a famous atheist, written lots of books, and I've read uh, two or three of his books actually, um, listen to his podcast, and I was watching him on YouTube. He's in a university setting and he's going on and on and on about the absurdity of Christianity. And this wasn't like the title of his talk, but basically that was what it was about. And as I listened, and this was a, a really a defining moment for me, um, caused me to shift some things in terms of not my belief, but in terms of my approach to how I preach and teach and some of the language I use. That atheist, ladies and gentlemen, was Sam Harris. One of the big four so-called atheists who have inflicted chaos on Christianity simply by insisting that all beliefs be, quote, rational or reasonable, so to speak. Now, there you have it. Andy Stanley is on record admitting that his preaching and how he frames things for the last 15 years since that encounter with Harris, and it's over 15 years at this point, uh, he admits that his preaching and how he frames things have been shaped primarily not by Jesus, not by Paul, not by any other apostle, not by a prophet, and not even by a hero from church history. No. Stanley is admitting that his approach to preaching, to framing up the gospel, has been influenced primarily by a God-hating atheist. One has to wonder uh, just what kind of faith and what type of Christianity a person has to have if it can be so easily shaped and influenced by an irrational atheist. I wonder about that. My name is Ed Dingus, and you are listening to The Reformed Rant, a podcast where I talk about the issues that are confronting the church uh, in modern times and in our, in our culture, the attacks that are being leveled against Christian belief, Christian values, the Christian worldview, if you will. And today, I am going to walk through Andy Stanley's so-called apologetic, uh, and hopefully along the way, say a few things that might help you think a little better about uh, what's going on with uh, Stanley's method, uh, Stanley's approach, but more importantly, hopefully help you think a little bit better about how to deal with uh, objections to the Christian worldview. All right, so let's let's jump into it. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. All right, now Andy Stanley has been saying an awful lot about what the church has gotten wrong lately, and especially as it relates to or concerns the Bible. He's been doing this for, for some time over the last several years now. 
Um, everything from um, the law has no relevance for us these days. You're not under the law. You don't keep the commandments. And speak, this, we're talking about the Ten Commandments. Um, unhitching the Old Testament from the New Testament. Um, you don't need to believe in, in the virgin birth. You don't have to affirm the virgin birth in order to, to be... You can doubt this account to be a Christian because it's really quite fantastic when you when you think about it and 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 that uh, if you build the church on the the idea that the the bible uh, you believe something because the bible says it the bible tells me so then you're building your christian christianity on a house of cards imagine that we're living in in 2023 in an age when a mega church pastor uh, like Andy Stanley will say if you build your christianity on the belief that uh, you believe whatever the Bible says, uh, then your your Christianity is built on a house of cards. That's absolutely unimaginable. Uh, all right. So, and he's uh, recently came out and said that uh, you just have to, you know, uh, all you really need is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and and, and John, and uh, you know that's that's really all you need. Uh, something to that that <laughs> to that effect which is mind-boggling to me. So, you know, what do we make of this? What's going on? Uh, why is a Christian pastor of a Christian church in 2023 seemingly trying to find every way he can to talk about the Bible in a way that is um, not offensive to the modern intellect, either from the standpoint of its narrow-mindedness, its values, uh, and its claims from a supernatural standpoint. He, he is doing everything he can to uh, basically cut out as much as, as he can. Um, so, you know, what, what, what's going on? I think he thinks that this is the best way to defend Christianity. Okay. At worst, uh, he is defending his own kingdom. Stanley's brand of, of Christianity, I think, is wildly different from historic Christianity. Where, where in the history of the Christian church would you ever find a man being so willing, a theologian or a pastor, a monk, whomever, to be so willing to compromise on all matters pertaining to the Word of God every time it offends someone within that particular culture. You just don't see it, but you certainly do see it today, right? So he, he's defending his brand of Christianity because his kingdom is built on his brand of Christianity and his assumptions about the Bible, its nature, and what we must believe and, and, and what is up for grabs. And that is key. It's his brand of Christianity. He has selected the evidential method to defend Christianity. Not only that, it is, very, it is, it is a very dubious uh, attempt because Stanley pins everything on the truthfulness of the resurrection of Christ while compromising and undermining the very source we have to believe that that, resur that resurrection ever really happened, okay? 
So, you know, as a, as a Christian, think about this for, for just a second. We believe that if Christ is not raised from the dead, our faith is in vain and we are of all men most miserable. There is no question that that is uh, central to Christian belief. And the resurrection is absolutely central and essential for the church to, to survive. But the source that we have that does two things, two fundamental things. One, gives us the historical account of the resurrection. That source is the Bible. Second, the, 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 the issue is what does it mean? What is the significance of the resurrection of Christ from the dead? Also coming from the Bible. Now, let's just examine this for a second and I'll, I'll, I'll move on. We'll probably come, I'll probably come back to it, but I want you to just think about this for a second. You have the historical account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ contained in the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's where the historical account is of the resurrection. Stanley says it's all we need. It's all we need. Well, what is the significance of the resurrection? What does the res resurrection actually mean? Right? What does it do? Why did it happen? Well, in order to understand the significance of the resurrection and what it means theologically, doctrinally, and so forth, you must turn to the writings of the apostles because it is the apostles being moved by the Holy Spirit who tell us what the significance of the resurrection event is. Okay, so if you, if you throw them out and you hang on only to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, well, you have an, a record, a claim that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but you don't know what any of it really means. It's a mystery. It's just a really wild phenomenon that took place 2,000 years ago. I don't understand it. Nobody understands it because we, we just don't know what it means because we, we have no source to tell us what it means. If you follow Andy Stanley's reasoning here, this is how asinine this reasoning is. It's, it's shocking to me that someone would, would be leading this many people and thinking, uh, and, and whose thinking would be as pitiful as this thinking is. I, I'm at a loss to understand what's going on in your mind. Not only this, if, if Stanley, Stanley, who is on record as saying that you, you really, you know, don't have to put much stock into the virgin birth, you, you can doubt that account, you can question 
that account. And uh, it's okay as long as you believe in the resurrection. But the thing is, the same authors who bring us the record of the resurrection, the historical record of the resurrection, those same authors bring us the historical record of the virgin birth. Hmm. Now, if the source that brings you the resurrection is the same source that brings you the virgin birth, and you question, just based on the modern mind, based on, thing, based on your own experience today, you question whether or not Jesus was ever really born of a virgin, because that's just fantastic. It's outrageous to think that such a thing could have ever happened. And so you doubt the source that made this claim which would be the gospel writers. How could you possibly come to the resurrection event and think that it's any less fantastic than the virgin birth? So if, if you let someone doubt the virgin birth and hang on to their Christianity, I love Jesus, you know, what ground or basis would you have to say to them, but... You have to believe in this resurrection. I know that this is probably even more outrageous than a virgin-born baby. Uh, after all, he was dead for three days and then rose from the dead on the third day. Uh, he was dead. Dead is dead. And he rose from the dead. If you doubt the virgin birth, why can't you doubt the resurrection. If I give you permission to doubt the virgin birth, and then I turn around and say, no, 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 I'm not going to give you permission to doubt the resurrection. What is the ground for that? What's the basis for that? What's, where's, where's the warrant for that? It doesn't exist. It, it is an arbitrary, subjective, I'm going to pick this thing that you cannot doubt, even though it's the same source, but I'm going to allow you to doubt this other stuff even though it's the same source. This makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But again, we are talking about a pastor of a Christian church, a massive mega Christian church, who admits that his preaching and his approach and how he frames things has been influenced by Sam Harris, a God-hating atheist. Okay, so there, there's that. Now, while modern American pagans seem to be abandoning coherence, as we look around us, coherence is actually incredibly important for any kind of intellectual conversation, which is why we're not having very many intellectual conversations these days. This is, a, this is something that I'm thinking about talking about in the, in the future as I'm, I'm into, I'm into uh, apologetics quite a bit. Um, how do you talk to somebody who actually is abandoning all logic. I mean, it, it's it, it's an interesting thing for us as believers to to think through, and I think I'm going to do an episode on this in the future. Um, but coherence is especially important when you're discussing worldviews, and in particular, competing worldviews. Now, you know, what does it mean 
to be coherent in this sense. When I say coherence, what exactly am I talking about? It means that your worldview does not involve beliefs that conflict with each other. You don't, you know, believe A is B and B is A. Or you don't believe that B and C are both A. It means that you don't have contradictory beliefs in your system. If you have a, belief, a worldview in which you've got some beliefs that one belief actually contradicts another belief, then both of those beliefs cannot possibly be true. They could both be false, but they cannot both be true. You should let go of one of those views because one of them is false, right? And to refuse to do that is what we would say a, a, an incoherent worldview, now, what, what does this mean? It means that your apologetic method matters because how you defend Christianity, how you defend Christianity, how you give an answer for the reason of the hope that's in you should cohere with what you believe about Christianity. It makes little sense to affirm Christianity while, for instance, rejecting the supernatural because Christianity affirms the supernatural. This is like saying, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but I reject the virgin birth. That would be incoherent. It's like saying, uh, I, I believe in uh, the resurrection, or I believe in this miracle in the Bible, but I reject these other miracles in the Bible. I believe God created something from nothing, but I reject the idea that a snake can talk, or a donkey can talk, or an axe head can float. Right? This would be contradictory incoherent, right? You're, you're arbitrarily believing in one thing in a category while at the same time refusing to believe something else that's in the very same category that is miracle, miracles. So it's, it, you cannot reject the possibility of miracles as a Christian and then believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Incoherent. This ground for a coherent apologetic is not philosophy, contrary to what many apologists so-called. No, apologists is not an office from Scripture. It's a modern invention, a modern construct. The ground for a coherent apologetic is your theology. Your theology must inform your philosophy. Everybody does philosophy, whether they want to admit to it or not. Everybody does philosophy. But for the Christian, your philosophy is actually unavoidably influenced, necessarily influenced by your theology. More than that, okay, this ground for coherence is actually the divine nature. God is a rational being. He is not irrational. There are no contradictions in him. There is no chaos in him. In fact, when looked at properly, we, we realize that the laws of logic are themselves properties of the divine mind. An absolute divine mind with absolute properties, laws of logic, right? All right. 
That said, your theology must be the product of sound biblical exegesis. This is what informs your theology. You allow the text to speak for itself. After all, the text is the divine mind speaking. It is God speaking. And God does not stutter, nor is his speech incoherent. Human reason, our ability to reason, has its source in divine reason. And we must reason the way God reasons. He gives us an example on not just how to talk, how to live. We have an example on how to think from Genesis to Revelation. Now, so sound exegesis requires a proper understanding of the nature of Scripture, right? See how this is going back, 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 back. <laughs> your, 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 your apologetic comes from your theology. Your theology comes from uh, exegesis. Your exegesis uh, has to have an appreciation for an understanding of the nature of Scripture. You will never faithfully handle the text if you have a defective understanding of the nature of that text. Scripture is a supernatural revelation from God. It's not the opinion or the opinions of a bunch of ancient Near Eastern men or Middle Eastern men. That's not what it is. This means that the aid of the Holy Spirit is essential in arriving at a true understanding of that revelation. Now, here's the thing. Uh, just, you know, does Sam Harris have the Holy Spirit? No, he does not. He hates the Bible. He hates God. He hates everything about God. He hates everything about the Bible. Why would you allow such a mind to influence your mind, especially as a pastor, as a Christian even. No. Because Scripture is a supernatural revelation from God about God. It's a supernatural revelation from God about God and His creation. It alone serves as our final authority for truth about God and the world, not Sam Harris. Scripture. In order to know anything about ourselves, folks, and our world, we must know something about the origin and source of reality. And the only way we can have that knowledge is through revelation, if God reveals it to us, if he gives us that revelation, and he does. Okay, so when we're assessing propositions about the world in which we live, we recognize that our final authority from, uh, for, for assessing any proposition about the world, truth about the world, about reality. Our final authority is Scripture, Scripture alone. Christian apologetics is aimed at providing answers to questions regarding the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview, not the modern American version. This is why so many people have a miserable apologetic. They are defending the indefensible. The minute we answer the question regarding the hope that is in us, we immediately turn to the truth about reality. And that truth is this. Man was created by God for God. But now man has become a fallen sinner in rebellion against God, totally unable to help himself. In short, man is in need 
of a Savior. He hates God. He hates God's truth. He hates everything about God. The only hope sinners have in this world is Christ. Apart from Christ, humanity is doomed, under condemnation, consigned to eternal death. This is the bad news, folks. This is the kind of bad news that you don't hear from churches like Andy Stanley's. You don't hear it from big Southern Baptist megachurches who want to hold themselves out as being conservative and somewhat reformed. You won't hear this from those type of churches. They don't want to talk about that. This is not how you attract people to your kingdom, right? This is what happens when your theology is off, your exegesis is off, your philosophy is off, your apologetic method is doomed. Now, we have to ask this question about hope, right? Hope. We are giving people an answer for the reason of the hope that is in us. What is it we all hope for exactly? Notice that Peter frames it this way. He says, when, when they ask you about the hope that is in you, Peter refers to Christianity as the hope that is in you. And indeed, that is what it is. Christianity is the abiding hope that one day death will be crushed under our feet and for once and for all we will live and reign with Christ, never to die or experience sorrow Again, no disappointment, no imperfections, no pain. Paul Washer once said, the most frightening truth man faces today is that God is good and man is not. Now you think about that. That's terrifying. God actually is good. This all-powerful, perfect being, holy, righteous, unblemished, perfectly good. And man is wicked and depraved and evil and deplorable. What do you think that means for humanity? Now, with this in mind... We return to Andy Stanley's attempt at Christian apologetics. And trust me, um, I'm being kind by framing it this way. I don't think Stanley is really trying to defend Christianity as much as he is trying to defend or trying to remain uh, intellectually credible and culturally relevant in order to ensure his kingdom doesn't disappear. Stanley's fortunate that his followers are not big, critical thinking. If they were, they would leave his church, right? He would, be out of, he would be out of business. Now, I know that sounds harsh, but that's the logical end. If one cares anything at all about rational thought, if you just sit down and think through what Stanley's arguing, you would be saying, poppycock, what a pile of rubbish, this is nonsense. I can't hold to that kind of Christianity. That's, it's indefensible. It is absurd. Sam Harris is right. 
Sam Harris says this. He says the Bible is among is among the worst books we have as a voice on morality. It says if you go into a town and see someone praying to a different God, you kill him. You kill his family. You kill everyone in the town. Now, this is this is the this is the all powerful intellect that Andy that that, that shook Andy Stanley's uh, worldview to the core, made him change how he preaches and so on and so forth. Here's the thing: the atheist Sam Harris cannot defend the notion that there is a better or worse anything, objectively speaking. The most plausible form, folks, of atheism is naturalism. Naturalism is the view that all reality is exhausted by nature. There is nothing outside of nature. Now, if this is true, it it, it wouldn't mean that all physical activities in nature, everything that's moving, uh, are the product of the laws of physics, the laws of nature. Nothing moves itself. It is moved by physics, including, including, including brain activity, including Sam Harris's brain activity. So what follows from that? But hard determinism. Responsibility for forming beliefs becomes unintelligible and meaningless. Why? Because your beliefs are not formed by you. They're not even formed by your brain. They're formed by the laws of physics acting on your brain. Moving your brain and the chemicals and so forth in your brain in the direction that they move it randomly without purpose. Right? So if that is true, I see no reason why humans should form ideas that involve concepts like better, best, or worse. They become unintelligible, nonsensical. Such concepts would merely be the result of the laws of physics acting on human brains. The notion that there is a pattern of criteria for determining good, better, best, or bad, and worst is rendered incoherent by the more basic belief entailed by naturalism. All movement in reality is the product is the product of impersonal laws of nature. And as such, one movement is no better or worse than any other movement. They are just movements. Nothing more, nothing less. This renders Harris's objection to the Bible absolutely incoherent. And it's worse than this for any atheist who holds to um, atheism, naturalism, materialism, it gets worse, and I, but I'm not going to go down that path. It gets much worse. If Stanley had any convictions about the Bible that were coherent with a Christian worldview, perhaps he would have given a different response to Harris's objections than the one that he, he gave. Now let's move to a second example. And Harris... Sam Harris gives us tons of examples of what we would call false objections to the Christian worldview. I'm just picking on a couple of them. Uh, Harris uses Islam to compare his rejection of the Bible to the Christian's rejection of the Quran. After all, Christians don't believe the Quran is the word of God, and he doesn't believe 
the Bible is the Word of God. Now, this is not surprising since Harris is a God-hating atheist, completely devoid of the one thing necessary to truly understand Christian epistemology. And what is the one thing necessary to really form and shape an epistemology that we can rightly call Christian? Genuine faith. That is the one thing that is necessary. For starters, Christians do not become Christians the way Muslims become Muslims. Muslims are not born again. They do not receive a supernatural gift of faith implanted in the inner man by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Now, Andy Stanley probably doesn't believe that either, and hence his difficulty in overcoming Harris's objection because he thinks like Harris does about how people come to believe the Bible is the Word of God, not like a Christian does. Muslims become Muslims by a simple act of the human will. It is purely a rational, natural decision. This is not the case for Christ followers. This is not the case for accurate, true, biblical Christianity. Now, second, faith is radically different for Christians than it is for Muslims. Harris believes that Christian faith is like any other faith that any human has, and this is why he fails to understand the difference between Christian epistemology and his own faith or that of Islam. It really is that simple. This is why theology is incredibly important. Understanding how these things work will help you understand or articulate your answers to people like Sam Harris. But if you don't, if you if you do not understand how these things work, what scripture says about these issues, such as saving faith, how does one come to saving faith? What is the nature of saving faith and so on? Well, then you're very likely going to struggle dealing with someone like Sam Harris. And in today's age, that struggle is going to grow with each encounter because people are more and more and more openly hostile to the gospel. And I say openly on purpose. People have, for years, given the gospel a wink and a nod. This cognitive respect, if you will. No longer. Now, third, the quality of the Bible and the message it conveys is remarkably different. In fact, universes apart from what we see in the Quran. It, and that's just a fact. Number four, anyone, anyone who studies the history of Islam recognizes the move for power and dominance. Muhammad was desperately seeking for some catalyst to unify the tribes and level the playing field. The rise of Islam owes itself to this desire for power and materialism far more than it does to a purely religious experience or religious devotion. 
these similarities between Christianity and Islam are superficial. Superficial at best. And the disparities between the two religions could fill the Grand Canyon and then some. Now, I've read atheists from Russell to Hitchens to Dawkins and Harris, and I have never found any of their arguments to be remotely compelling in the slightest. What I've always found is straw man arguments, logical fallacies, objections that completely and totally miss the mark. And the reason they miss the mark, folks, is because they don't know what they're aiming for. You have to have a true understanding of Christianity, a genuine true understanding of Christianity, in order to form legitimate objections to it. And no one who has a firm, true, genuine understanding of Christianity would ever object to it because they are believers. Now, why Andy Stanley would be so shaken by something Sam Harris said can only be described as an indictment against his own brand of Christianity and his own personal faith. And that's the real elephant in the room here, folks. Stanley is seeking to provide his church, his kingdom, his people, who have the same kind of faith that Harris and Muslims have, a defense for why they should stay with his brand of Christianity. That's what he's trying to do. The sooner you recognize that, the easier it will be to understand why Stanley is in such a, a uh, an uproar, why he's uh, carrying on this campaign against the Bible, which he would absolutely deny. I understand that. And his followers, his minions will deny that as well. But so would Satan. Satan is in an uproar against the Bible, but if you were to ask him if he were in an uproar against the Bible, uh, he would say no. In fact, if you were to ask Satan, he would tell you that he loves Jesus. Come on, guys. Once you understand this, then you can better understand why Stanley does the things he does. Right. So what is this coming down to? Well, some of you have guessed it already. It's coming down to a crisis of authority. A crisis of authority. Rationalism invaded the church a few centuries ago. And it has displaced the authority of Scripture. Human reason has displaced faith so that all we are left with is a rational Christianity, however you might define your particular view of what is and what is not rational. Now, rationalism, this is the view that all knowledge must be guided by human reason. Human reason is supreme when it comes to determining what is and is not true regarding reality. Human reason, the human mind, right? Most people, without realizing it, are, to one degree or another, rationalists because their mind is the final standard by which all truth claims will be measured and judged. Now, one major problem with this view is that it holds to a universe of random chance while at the same time insisting on 
laws of logic, which are impossible in a universe of random chance. Think about that one for just a few minutes. Another problem with this view for the materialists and the naturalists is to slide into hard skepticism by way of solipsism. If humans are reduced to their brains, and brains are nothing more than the products of random chance and laws of physics, then no one controls the activity of their own brain. So the entire idea of indicting somebody for believing something you don't believe is absolutely meaningless, unintelligible. If you're just your brain, and I'm just my brain, then neither of us control our thinking, which drives our behavior. Our bodies and brains are passive agents doing whatever the laws of physics move them to do. Randomly, I might add. Now, if this is true, there's no such thing as a belief-forming model. In other words, the idea that humans should form beliefs about reality based on some set of rules, such as you need evidence (laughs) or some criteria. This belief is without any warrant. If naturalism and materialism, if they are true or if either one of them are true, we don't form our own beliefs. The laws of nature do that to us and they do it to us randomly from one person to the next. This is a real problem for these views. Another system of epistemology that is extremely, like the dominant, I suppose, is empiricism. This is a view that all knowledge must come through the senses. Now, empiricism faces the very same criticism that rationalism faces, but with one more massive self-defeating observation. If all knowledge indeed must come through the senses, then you must explain which sense that knowledge came through. What sense did the knowledge that all knowledge must come through the senses come through? And the answer is it didn't come through any of the senses, yet it's claiming that all knowledge must come through the senses. We call this a uh, self-defeating proposition. If you use the, the most basic claim of empiricism to test empiricism, then empiricism is proven false. It's utterly absurd to hold to empiricism. And then what do, we, what do we have to say today about modern science? Again, we have a crisis of authority, a crisis of authority. Both rationalism and empiricism are staples of modern science, but modern science has taken it on the chin over the past couple of decades. Look around you. We live in, an, in a society that can no longer even define what a woman is. And the, 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 the pagans in the church, very often, because they dominate the church, mirror the culture. So in the church, they can no longer seem to define what a pastor is. We live in a society that has taken the attack against authority, all things authoritative. Started with scripture, tradition, And now it is spread to science and reason. We live in a society that has taken the attack against authority to a whole new level. 
and has summarily dismantled them without regard for the consequences that these ideas that we're seeing spring up will inevitably have on the rest of society. We have already destroyed history with our radical subjective revisionism. One has to wonder how much longer two plus two will equal four. Andy Stanley should be alarmed by attacks from atheists like Sam Harris, but not because Harris has legitimate or coherent objections to the Christian worldview. He doesn't. Stanley should be worried because Harris's objections really do destroy Stanley's version of Christianity. That's the worry. So it isn't Christianity that's the problem here. It's Stanley's version of Christianity that's the problem. Stanley once said that building Christianity on the authority and inerrancy of the Bible is a house of cards. What that means is is that if, if someone can raise a legitimate objection against the Bible, then all of Christianity comes crumbling down. Well, no one has been able to do that for over 3,500 years when you include the Old Testament. But they sure have been able to raise legitimate objections against Stanley's version of Christianity. Stanley has admitted that a Christianity that allows for errors in the Bible is the actual house of cards. That's the house of cards. Stanley hangs everything on the resurrection event, but he gives people permission to doubt other miracles, such as the virgin birth. And as I said before, the sources that we are allowed to doubt on the account of the virgin birth, the sources that Stanley gives us permission to doubt on the account of the virgin birth are the same sources that recorded the resurrection event. If they are wrong about the virgin birth, if Matthew was wrong, if he got it wrong about the virgin birth, what makes you think he got it right about the resurrection? Just because? And now it's worse since Stanley has recently tossed out the rest of the New Testament and told people that really all you need is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now I know that he literally hasn't tossed out the rest of the New Testament. But ladies and gentlemen, if God gave us Genesis through Revelation, it's because it's necessary. What God gives us, we need. And he gave us Genesis through Revelation. You cannot and should never throw out what God has given us. He gave it to us for a reason. And as I said before, if you toss out everything after the Gospels, you don't even begin to have an understanding or clue what the significance of the resurrection really is to begin with. That's a real problem. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the true house of cards. And for Stanley, his house has come crashing down. And it's just too hard to see it.